<clears throat> just in case anybody's forgotten, because I do have a, a tendency to meander, um, the subject of these studies, classes if you will, is, is this work, The Glory of a True Church, or the, the long title is The Glory of a True Church and Its Discipline Displayed, wherein a true gospel church is described, together with the powers of the keys and who are to be let in and who are to be shut out. Uh, that is hard to squeeze on the spine of a, a, a book, especially so small, and so it's obviously been truncated to the glory of a true church. The point that, that Keach, our, our Baptist forefathers, making with, with this title and this book is that the beauty and glory of a church of Christ is seen when it is built according to Christ's institution and then it conducts its affairs according to Christ's commandment. In other words, when it, it is what Christ says it should be, and when it does what Christ, Christ says it should do, uh, and, and particularly with Christ's authority uh, regarding who comes in and who goes out of the church, or, or welcoming and dismember, or dismissing members. The old word was dismember, to excommunicate. They would say uh, somebody would be dismembered. Um, Sounds a little graphic to our ears, but uh, that, that, that's what they meant, to remove from membership. Before a church can act with the authority of Christ, she has to be built and constituted properly. And, and the way we began by began was noting in Keech's language that she must have the right matter and the right form, made of the right stuff, doing the right things. As to matter, there must be lively stones. A true church is to be made up of regenerate people, born-again believers. As much as we can verify and ensure a regenerate membership, that's what we're after. That's what we, we seek to obtain. Now those members are divided up into the general membership and then the officers. The officers of a New Testament church are elders and deacons. As for the elders, the Bible calls them elders as well as pastors, rulers, leaders, overseers, stewards. These are all titles for the one office. And we saw last week that those who hold this office, are to the office of pastor elder, are to feed the flock with conviction, visit the flock with intention, pray for the flock with compassion, live before the flock as a demonstration, and relate to the flock without discrimination. And all of that is built on the very first lesson, which is that these things are not, in our estimation, in our understanding, these are not a matter of preference. We're not saying, well, we just prefer the way the Baptists have done it. I'm, we're not saying we're, we're Baptists because, well, we prefer that as opposed to another uh, tradition. No, we, we believe these things are true because we see them in the Bible. We believe this is the, the biblical order of things, and we bring everything back to the standard of Scripture and weigh them according to Scripture. So hopefully that, that is clear, that as we go through these, this is not a... Uh, a championing of, necessarily, the Baptist way. 
Um, now, I, I believe the Baptist way is the biblical way. Uh, but really, what we're after, and I believe that, that our Baptist forefathers would have said this, what we're after is the biblical way. What does the Bible say about these the, the way that a church should be put together and how she should function. We believe it's biblical. It's not just preference. Now, that being said, uh, if, if you look at the bottom of page 7 of this little workbook, we see, uh, a and it goes just barely into, onto page 8, a, a, a brief paragraph describing the work of deacons. There's only one paragraph here, and it's a short paragraph, and that may give you the impression that the office of deacon is insignificant. Well, this one paragraph is actually one more paragraph than our confession has. Our confession doesn't even give a whole paragraph to the office of a deacon. But again, none of that is meant to give us the impression that the office of a deacon is not important. Um, usually when confessional statements and things like that are written... Where you get a lot of material is because there's been a lot of error. A lot of heresy, a lot of wrongdoing requires a lot of correction. Well, with the office of deacon, yes, you do have uh, the instances where people created offices like the archdeacon and things like that and made it more than what it was supposed to be. But really, in the application of it, this wasn't something that was really a, a wrangling uh, point in, in the time of the, of the Reformation and post-Reformation in the, the Puritan era, that doesn't mean deacons are not important. They're, they're actually very important and essential, I hope, that we'll be able to see. Our confession simply states the fact that the officers appointed by Christ are bishops or elders and deacons. And it doesn't say another word about them. Ironically, maybe this is this would help you a little, the Bible also kind of, sort of treats it that way, if you, pay it, if you pay attention. Our confession gives one proof text for elders and one proof text for deacons. Um, I, I told you to turn to the book of Acts, but let's start in Philippians chapter 1. This is the proof text that our confession gives for the office of a deacon. And what I mean by the Bible and the confession being very similar is that they, they almost state the case and just assume that you know things. The Bible doesn't have a chapter, Paul doesn't have a chapter where he says, now here I'm going to go ahead and lay out for you all of the, the, the role and function of the deacons necessarily in that form. We do glean that from other places, but it, it's not put that way. He just sort of talks about the deacon and kind of assumes that you've gathered from elsewhere what a deacon is to do. And this is what we see in Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Or, or we would say the elders, pastors, and Deacons, it just sort of states the fact, the reality that in that church there are the general membership and then there are the office bearers, the overseers and deacons. Now the term deacon is a very common word. It's used all throughout the New Testament and usually it's just translated 
servant. The way that we know that it can also refer to something more than just the general servant attitude or activities of, of, the, of a regular uh, believer is what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So let's turn there. 1 Timothy 3. <clears throat> Paul has just laid out the qualifications for the overseers or the elders uh, there in verses 1 through 7. And then in verse 8, we read, Deacons likewise. Now, just those two words lets us know he's now transitioning to a new category of person. And, and he's now going to allude to this category of person in a way that lets us know he's not just describing the general populace of a congregation who at any given point might perform an act of service. We can tell he's going further. Deacons likewise. And then he gives this list of qualifications. Uh, verses 10... Uh, oh yeah, well, 9 through... Uh, or I'll just continue reading. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine... Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now all of that, we could say, he's just describing a Christian. But notice now what he says, And let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. That's, that's how we get the idea. He's not just talking about a general servant. He, this is going a, a step further. And then in verse 12, he gives even more qualifications. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In this in this way, we see that elders and deacons both have qualifications that they are to meet before they can serve. Now, here's what's interesting. Going back to how this sort of parallels the way our confession and even this book deals with it, Paul just assumes, as he writes to Timothy, that Timothy knows, first, what an overseer is and what a deacon is. And what a deacon is supposed to be doing. He just says, deacons likewise. Implying, there ought to be deacons, and they're going to do something. But he doesn't really tell us here what they do. He doesn't say, well, you, you know, you're going to have a church. You know the grass is going to be, have, to be, have to be mowed. You're going to have a deacon. The doorknobs are going to have to be worked on. Better get a deacon. Plumbing's going to have to be checked on. Better get a deacon. Uh, the hot water heater might bust. Better get a deacon. Uh, somebody's going to have to pick the pastor. Better get a deacon. He doesn't say any of that, right? But many of these things that we often assume are the role of deacon, he, he doesn't name any of those things, but he does assume that Timothy knows what a deacon is supposed to do. Now, if this is all we had, if all we had was 1 Timothy 3, deacons likewise must be dignified, and, and, and then uh, those who serve well as deacons 
If this is all we had, we'd say, well, what do they do? Right? He didn't tell us what a deacon does. They serve well. Well, serve what? In what capacity? What do they do? It's for this reason that the unanimous witness of church history has been to look back to Acts chapter 6 to say, over there is where we find the basis, the function of, these, of this office called a deacon. And, and Mr. Keach is no exception. Now let me read what he writes here, and, I'll, and we'll, we'll see how he takes us to the book of Acts. He gives us this general summary. The work of deacons is to serve tables. That is, to oversee provisions for the Lord's table, the minister's table, and the tables of the poor. Now, where does that take us? Well, we have references in this. This takes us back to Acts chapter 6. So now you can turn to Acts chapter 6, and let's read this together. Again, the, the contingency is, here is where we find out what a deacon is, what they're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> Acts chapter 6. Verses 1 through 10. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Remember that word, that phrase, the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said... It is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. There's Keech's phrase. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And we'll, we'll stop there. This go, going into that little portion there gives us a, more of an idea of what kind of man Stephen was who was chosen as a deacon. Now the argument then is that these seven men were the first deacons. You say, well, it doesn't say that they were the first deacons in the passage. So why would we assume here is a layout of what the deacons do? 
And 1 Timothy gives us the qualifications for the men who are to be doing this. What gives us the right to make that connection? Well, here, here's where I think it comes from. Notice what it was said, <clears throat> or what it said there in the passage. The Hebrew widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Literally, the Hebrew widows were being neglected in the daily diaconate. You might, you might have a translation that says the daily ministry or the daily service. But we would, that, that's the word from which we get our word deacon. So we could translate it that way, the daily diaconate. And more than likely, this distribution or this service was a service of food or funds, but generally the care that the widows could not provide for themselves. There was a, a daily diaconate to take care of the widows of the church. And it says that the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. This would be all the Christians in, this, in Jerusalem. They got them all together and they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. We're trying to figure out why, why Keats uses its language. Well, this is where he got it from, serve tables. What is serving tables in this passage? Well, it is overseeing this distribution that was t taking place. The, the problem was the widows were not being taken care of. They were not being receiving their service. They summarize it as serve tables. We, 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 it's not right for us to give up this to attend to that problem, to take care of this issue. And again, the, the word for serve is, is a form of that word for deacon. It is not right for us to give up the preaching of the Word of God to deacon the tables, to minister the tables or to administer the care to these widows. I think we still need more information. Look back at chapter 4 of the book of Acts, verses 34 and 35. <clears throat> Uh, 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So people are selling property. They're bringing the proceeds to who? The apostles, the twelve. And then it says it was distributed, or literally it was handed out. And we say, who was handing it out? Well, if it wasn't the apostles themselves, the apostles were at least the ones who had to see to, to its being distributed. Yeah. It was brought to them, and the apostles then have to make sure that it gets to where it needs to go. To presumably, this, this handing out of this distribution was by the apostles, or at least under the oversight of the apostles. People were selling houses and lands and bringing the money to the apostles who were then in charge of making sure that everybody who had any need. Now, notice what it says. It doesn't say to make sure the widows got what they needed. It says to make sure that any, it was distributed to each as any had need. This is, this is broader than just the widows. The apostles didn't have jobs. How did they, how did they live? How did they eat? There were other people in the, in the church, no doubt, that were poor. 
They, they would have had needs. This is, it wasn't just the widows. It was to any who had a need. So that when we get to chapter 6, we find out that the ball has been dropped, it seems, in this ministry. The ball was dropped somewhere, and these widows were being at least overlooked. They, they had been... Now, now the, the idea of being neglected, this is the, the inner workings of what was potentially a, a major problem in the first church. All of the apostles are Jewish people, Jewish men, Hebrews. The Greek, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews or, or Greek-Jewish uh, converts saying, hey, you guys are taking care of all of your Jewish widows and missing out on our, our Greek widows. Potentially a major uh, splintering or fragmentation of the church. So the apostles have to jump on this and deal with the problem. The problem of chapter 6 is dealing with the widows, but the widows, that was just a, a small subset of the big work of distributing to all as any had need. That work that the apostles then handed off to these seven men would have included collecting money and other goods, overseeing the distribution of these goods, and making sure that everyone gets what they need. That is serving tables. It's a broad thing. It's not just the widows. There was a problem with the widows, but the ministry itself was bigger. It was everything that's brought in, overseeing that to make sure that it goes everywhere it needs to go. So again, Keech's words, the work of deacons is to serve tables, that is, to oversee provisions for the Lord's table, the minister's table, and the tables of the poor. He took, he took that phrase from Acts chapter 6, serve tables, and he just expanded it to fit the whole duty of Acts chapter 4, all of the needs of all the church. Dealing with the widows is just a small subsection of what might be the needs of a whole church. Everyone who had need was taken care of, but the problem that we see in Acts 6 was with the widows. In verse 6 of Acts chapter 6, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Again, the, the point I'm trying to make is this duty is not just the widows. The, there was a problem with the widows. The duty was all of the distribution. In other words, it's almost like they're saying, could you make it to where they stop bringing their stuff and laying it at our feet? We've got other stuff to do. Let them bring it. You just oversee the duty. Take it off of our plate so that we don't have to worry about who, where the money's coming from, where it's going. It can be handled and we can give attention to, the prayer, to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Seeing to the needs of the widows, again, was a smaller application of the broader distribution of the funds that were brought to the apostles' feet. Now, Alexander Strauch uh, is a, a living man who's written a book on deacons, and he, he, he describes a deacon as, quote, the official church coordinator of benevolence. The official church coordinator of benevolence. That is all church benevolence, not just widows. 
It's the distribution of the funds of the church into the places where the funds need to go, as any has need. And Strauch again says that deacons are to oversee people's practical and material needs. That's what a deacon does. Now this obviously begins with the church itself. The church members, the church ministries, the church leaders... Keach takes that language of tables and he just kind of divides it. He's just doing sort of like a word play. Serve tables. What kind of tables? Well, the Lord's table. I would take that as a summary for the ministry of the church. The minister's table. That would be the care of the ministers of the church. And then the tables of the poor. The members of the church who are in need. It is the function of the deacon or deacons to see to these matters. To serve tables. Now, I have the, I think it would be helpful at times, or here, just to stop and say, is this typically what is happening in churches with deacons? Is this normally what we see? Usually it's not. Most of, most of the backgrounds that I have experienced or have come from, this is, this is not, not what we see from the deacons. The deacons serve Tables. Now, Keech is going to break it down a little further. He says that they should, A, provide bread and wine for the Lord's table. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that the deacon, Monday through Saturday, he's growing wheat, threshing out grain, baking bread so that he can bring in the loaf on the Lord's day. I don't think that it means the deacon must own a vineyard and a wine press and you see him out there on Thursday mashing the grapes to get ready for the Lord's Supper and providing the wine. I don't think it's saying that. I think the application goes back to that general idea of serving tables. The deacon oversees the collection and the distribution and the dispensation of funds. So his job is to, to make sure the bread and the wine are purchased and paid for, that the church gets what it needs to, to do that. And I think we could uh, tease that out even further to other things that a church might need for its regular worship. Uh, making sure uh, the funds are there and, and all that sort of thing. I, I don't think that this means uh, he, he or they have their hands on every little detail of it. If the church needs light bulbs. Well, I, don't, I don't think this is saying the deacon needs to go to Lowe's and get light bulbs. This, we could say, hey, somebody go get light bulbs and let the deacon know and he'll make sure that you're reimbursed for the light bulbs. He'll make sure that the funds get there, etc. Uh, the deacon is to be, here, here's where we get into the nitty gritty. You, you guys are going to love this. The deacon is to be, see that every member contributes to the maintenance of the ministry according to their ability and their own voluntary subscription or obligation. Now that phrase, maintenance of the ministry, is a long way to say, pay your pastors. The deacon is to see that every member contributes to the paying of its ministers. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul speaks to this idea of the ministers being supported by those to whom they minister. And interestingly, he goes back to the law. 
He goes back to the Old Testament. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 13 and 14, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Again, this, this falls in that category of distributing to each as any had need. These apostles did not have jobs. Their job was the ministry of the word and prayer. Well, how are they going to eat? It was the job of the deacons to see to that, that the needs were met. Now, I wonder if you, if you noticed the specific way that this is described, the, the, all, the, the function of the deacon. This is foreign to us. The deacons are to see that every member contributes. Now, if you're a member of this church, you've signed our church covenant by which you agreed to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. That's just a part of our church covenant. That's just, and that's just a, basically the... the copy and paste Baptist church covenant that's been around for a really long time. Uh, and if you remember here, you've uh, affirmed subscription to our confession, which says, speaking of uh, the elders, it is incumbent on the churches to whom they minister, not only to give them all due respect, but also to communicate to them of all their good things according to their ability, so as they may have a comfortable supply without being themselves entangled in secular affairs, and may also be capable of exercising hospitality toward others. And this is required by the law of nature and by the express order of our Lord Jesus, who hath ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So, so our, our church covenant, we, we agree to, to, to the, the maintenance of the ministry. Our confession puts forth the, 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 the biblical nature of the maintenance of the ministry. Most of the time that issue is addressed up front. Somebody wants to join the church. Hey, just so you know, it says this in church covenant confession. Did you read the confession? Yeah, I read it. And it's never really discussed again. We just sort of leave it. We, we know that there are churches who abuse the concept of giving. And uh, we have the tendency to swing all the way to the other extreme. Or we just don't talk about it. Don't say anything. We don't want you to think... We don't want anybody to think that we're Kenneth Copeland or, or someone like that. So just don't ever say anything. Well, the problem is that's not biblical either. I wonder how we might fare if the deacon began having conversations along these lines. See that every member contributes. Now, I have no idea because I'm not a deacon. So I don't, I don't know what these conversations may or may not look like or if they uh, would or should be had. But... We might think, at first, at first hearing, we might think, well, that sounds a little intrusive. He, he's he's going to come around and make sure people, if I'm not giving, he's going to come and bring it up. And if it were the average church member, it would be intrusive. If the average church member, a regular layman in the church, comes to you and says, hey, do you give? How much do you give? How much money do you make? How, are you giving properly in... in accordance with how much money you make? If the average church member comes to you and asks those questions, you have my authority 
or my authority, you, you have the right to say, that's none of your business. None of your business. That's called meddling in affairs that are none of your business. But the deacon actually has the right in this regard to quote-unquote meddle. This is his function. We say, well, why is this so important? Again, we, 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 we hit it on the front end with meddling in my business. But if we go and see the big picture of the work of a deacon, it really has almost nothing to do with you at all, usually. Look at the next point. A deacon is to see, see that each member do give weekly to the poor as God has blessed him. This, again, falls under the regular pattern of giving. 1 Corinthians 16, and turn there, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Weekly giving is part and parcel with weekly worship. That's what he's saying. And the deacon has the job of gathering those funds but also, they have the duty of making sure that there is consistency and faithfulness in the giving of all the members. See that each member do give weekly. Now again, we say, oh, that's, that's meddling. That's none of his business. Is it really? Or is it not? Keach gives us another reference here. And this, is, this was fascinating to put this together. Remember that the practice of Acts chapter 4 was met with a problem in Acts chapter 6. All right, trivia question, fourth trivia question for the day. What comes between Acts 4 and Acts 6? Acts 5. Look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Again, this is the defense for the uh, or the, the response to those who would say, well, that's just meddling. It's none of, none of his business. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead 
And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, besides being a good proof text for a a, a digging and burial ministry amongst the young men, um, did you see what, what Peter did? Did you, know, did you notice what he asked her? Where did, where did, he, where did he get the audacity? Where did, where, did he, where did he get the idea that he could ask her? And it, Luke records it as so much. Let's, the, the point he's making is Peter said a number. Sapphira, did you sell that land for $45,000? Yeah, $45,000. She didn't say, that's none of your business. That's, that's a private matter. See, he, Peter had already said to, to Ananias... It was a private matter until you brought it into the church and made it a matter of, of corporate worship or, or of giving in service to the church. Now all of a sudden, it's not a private matter anymore. As long as it was yours, it was your business. And the deacon is not going to come to somebody's house and say, tell me how much you make, let me see your W-2s, etc., etc. That, that wouldn't be right either. As long as it's yours, that's your business. But when it begins to come in through this ministry of the church... All of a sudden, Peter has the right to say, did you sell the land for this much? He, he asked her what most of us would say is a very personal question about their giving and about her, the lie told by her husband. In other words, Peter engaged in a detailed examination of the members of the church about their giving. <laughs> now remember, this is after the practice was set up in Acts chapter 4, but before the duty was handed off to the deacons in Acts chapter 6. So it still falls under the, the practice of the apostles. And this is the, 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 rep, or the text that Keach points us to, and I think it's clear. What, what he's saying is, this too was a part of that duty that was once the duty of the apostles. The apostles said, we don't want it, we've got to preach and pray. Let's hand that off to the deacons. So now it's the deacons' job to say, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Or, or basically... Uh, inquire after the giving of the members of the church. It was first the duty of the apostles, and then it was handed down to the deacons. Therefore, the deacons had the job of seeing that every member contributes and seeing that every member do give weekly to the poor as God has blessed him. And again, our tendency is to take that very personally, as if it's a, a, an attack upon us. Think about the function of the deacon and the role of the church. Look at, the, look at D. In the same vein, the deacon is to visit the poor and know their condition as much as in them lies, that none, especially the aged widows, be neglected. Now, the charge of intrusion would probably wouldn't come here. We, we, if we found out our, our deacon went over to a widow's house and he asked her what the church could do for her to help her pay for, the, for wood, for her wood stove. Can you believe the audacity of that man? We wouldn't think that way. We would say, man, that's amazing. But if it comes back to us, the deacon is making sure everybody's contributing, we'd say, well, where does he, where does he get off asking me questions like that? The thing is, the church can't buy her firewood un unless everybody's giving. It all works together, you see. We take this so personally. When you come into the church, you, you got rid of all of that. This is, this is my business stuff. 
when it, when it comes into the relation of the church. Again, your money is your business, but once it comes into this aspect and we begin to, to work together and serve together and minister together, all of a sudden, we don't really get to say at every point, well, that's none of your business. There are points when we say, hey, I'm bringing my business here because the church has a, a job to do. How can the poor, how can the deacon know that there are poor or that they need to receive funds if he can't ask? Hey, what's the problem? Is there something we can do to help? How can we help? Tell us what to do. Now, I think the general assumption ought to be that if a person is not giving, it's because they themselves are in need of the gifts. But how would the deacons know if they're not allowed to ask and say, I notice that you don't give. Can we help you? Are you in need? Now, if the person comes back and says, well, I don't have any needs, well, then the, the, then, the, then the response is, well, you've agreed to this by covenant. You've, agreed, you've submitted to this by confession. Here's the biblical precedent. You're actually not fulfilling your covenantal obligations. We were just under the impression you needed help. But you, you, so not only do you not need help, but you're also not willing to help others? You see, it, it, it gets hairy at that point. But the goal is that the, the, the deacons have to oversee all of this. They have to look at all of this. Who's giving and who needs so that the people who need are getting what other people are giving. And even in some instances, they, they would have to visit and ask. And, and, and in our language, pry into the details of somebody's life to make sure that people are taken care of. There are instances, and, and our deacon has done this, where maybe all that needs to be done is to just sit down and, and work out a budget together. Like... Well, I'm really struggling. Well, let's just look at your budget and make sure that everything is, is rolling properly. And if, if, if after that we find out a person is really living in poverty, it is the job of the church to say, we help. That's just what you do. But he can't know that if he's not allowed to ask. All should be giving in order that those who need can receive. Again, it's not, a, it's not being meddlesome and it's not about the church getting just getting more money or, or loading up a bank account. It is about helping. The diaconate is a service. It's making sure the needs of the church are served. And that especially uh, for the widows, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. How, how, how does God meet the needs of these, this woman? Through her church. She's cast herself at the mercy. My hope is in God. I'm praying. Night and day I'm praying. Well, the, the church comes in and says, God, God is here to meet your needs through the ministry of the church, but she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Again, all of this falls under the oversight of the deacons. Now, why is all this important? You might say, well, I'm not a deacon, why do I care? The entire service or function of the deacon is predicated on the fact that the people of God, that is the members of the church, are contributing financially 
to the ministry of the church, and to the aid of the poor. The deacon is the executor of your giving. When you give, it's the deacon's job to make sure that that money gets where it's supposed to go or where it needs to go. But he can't do that if the congregation is not giving. There's a, there's a not a give and take necessarily, a, a give and distribute. There, there, there's a working together. When the church and the deacons both serve their purpose, then the church operates as it should, as the body of Christ on earth. Remember that our Lord was known, this is Luke 24, 19, as Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Deed, word. Paul, as an apostle of Christ, said, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Now remember also that Christ has given gifts to His church. 1 Peter 4, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Word and deed. You see the pattern. Christ, word and deed. The apostle, word and deed. The church and its gifts, word and deed. All right, that same principle then uh, finds manifestation in the offices of the church. Word and deed. The apostle said, we must give our attention to the ministry of the word and to prayer. We're going to give this deed ministry over to the deacons. The church as a body is a word deed ministry because she's the body of Christ who ministered in word and deed. The elders and deacons are the officers who func- whose function is to execute the power of the church in word and deed ministry. The elders attend to the word, the deacons attend to the deed, the, the service. When this functions properly, the body of Christ works the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. The Word is is communicated as it should, and it's not distracted by the ministry of deed or mercy ministry because the deacons are able to take that and uh, do as needs to be done. Because they do as it needs to be done, the the Word is able to go forth, and that's what we saw in Acts chapter 6. When the deacons took this job and said, we'll handle this, what did it say? The Word of God spread. And a great many of the priests came to the faith. The the church was built. The gospel was able to go forth because the church was walking on both legs, we might say. Now, when when, 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 for me personally, I put this all together, it leads me to say, all oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Is He not so wise? Is He not so, so good? He, our God is concerned about the needs of widows, the needs of the poor. The, he wants that to take place so, so much. So particularly, he has such a concern that his church attends to that, that he says, I'm going to put an office in the church to make sure that it happens. At the same way, he says, but the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. The truth must go out. 
So I'm going to put an office in the church that is the ministry of the word. See? God's wisdom displayed in the church. Hopefully this is, 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 gives you great confidence in God's goodness and God's wisdom. Well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed.